you're having a great Labor Day weekend and enjoying a, an extra long time of rest. Uh, I want you to take a, some time today, though, and I want you to think about a person in your life that has helped you to become or to be who you are today. Maybe think back to somebody in your life, maybe it was in childhood, maybe it was in a student pastor, maybe it was a, a professor, maybe it was a, even somebody young while you were in business or starting out your career that just went the extra mile in your life and helped make you who you are today. It could have been for a very long season, it could be measured in, 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 in years, it could be measured in, in days. But somebody significant that helps shape you. Again, accidentally or intentionally, I, I don't know, but somebody who helped pour into your life. I'll tell you about mine in a few moments. It's been on my mind all week preparing for this message. But I just realized this in, in relationships, that most relationships come accidentally. All right, They come by accident. You don't wake up in the morning and just say, I'm going to find this kind of friend, and this is the profile of that friend that I'm looking for. You don't do that. You move to a new area, to a new school. You, you, you change locations. You change jobs. And all of a sudden, you, you are neighborhoods, and, and you find yourself intersecting with somebody, finding typically some kind of common ground that brings you together, some affinity there that brings you together. Uh, and, and it kind of, okay, it either happens or it doesn't happen. The chemistry is either there or it's not there. And, and, and you go to the next level, whatever the next level may look like. In that relationship, and it could go on for years again, it could go on for weeks, I don't, I, I don't know. But uh, you, most of our relationships, unless you have an eHarmony account or Match.com account, are, are, are mainly accidental. Uh, but what about intentional relationships? What about finding someone out there that, that you could pour into, that somebody could pour into you, that somebody could make a difference in you, that you could make a difference in them, where you do it, at an intentional level. Now, that requires a little bit more in a relationship than the accidental eye. We crossed paths. We met here. We met on the soccer field. We were soccer parents together or at a school function or something like that. This is, this is something where you literally go into life looking for someone that you can intentionally engage, intentionally enter into a relationship with, that you can intentionally uh, have this, this give, this take, this challenge, this, this pouring in effect. Think about that for a moment. Who in your life have you intentionally gone out and found and poured in and made a difference in their life? This story, this person that did it for me was about a two-and-a-half-year relationship that truly, truly impacted my life at about 20, 21 years of age. And in that, in that time period, they, they helped me to see weaknesses in my life. Uh, they helped me to understand what it meant to walk with God. They, they poured into me, but I, even as the relationship matured, I was able to challenge them and pour into them. That's a healthy relationship. And as, as, as it continued on, we, we both went our separate ways. He went this way, I went that way. But to this day, I look back at this individual. And though they're now gone to be with the Lord, I look back at this individual and I say, you made a tremendous impact on my life. I'm afraid, though, when it comes to the area of relationships, we don't 
shine in this area. Either because we live in this accidental mode out there, if, if one comes our way and it, it, it hits us upside the face, then okay, then we'll enter into this relationship. But actually intentionally entering into this life and saying, I'm going into this world to make an impact and to be impacted in, in, a, in a meaningful, powerful, life-changing, challenging relationship. I don't know that we do that intentionally. I don't think we do relationships overall well. I mean, even today, sociologists are talking about how in our culture of marriages that we have starter marriages. That literally you enter in, you have a couple of years of a marriage and it doesn't work out, then you learn a lot of mistakes from that first one, then you go perfect them in the second one. Starter marriages, starter relationships. I don't know what it looks like. A professor of mine, uh, Dr. Eddie Gibbs, wrote this in one of his books. He said, people are both hungry for relationships and yet at the same time ill-prepared for the cost involved. In a culture in which casual relationships and contractual relationships are the norm, it is difficult to build relationships on a deep foundations that can survive disagreements and disappointments. People are more prone to walk away when the going becomes difficult than to work through a crisis to the point where a new depth of understanding is reached. That's a powerful observation. That it is a lot easier to throw away a relationship. A lot easier to throw away a friendship, a marriage, or whatever, than it is to work at rebuilding and growing together in it. Now, obviously, if there's disconnect between what you want to pour in and the other person wants to pour in, and we'll talk about that in a moment, then there's a a separation, obviously. But whenever two people are resolved and committed to reconcile and making whole the relationship, what could be done? How could I grow? How could I become? I think, again, we, we are quite shallow in our relationships. Take your Bibles and go again to the table of contents. This will be our last week in this majoring on the minors. But I want us to look at the table of contents to find another obscure book, the smallest of Paul's writings. You'll find the book of Philemon. You find it in the New Testament. Go back in the New Testament section there, and you'll find the book of Philemon just before the book of Hebrews and just after the book of Titus. And be finding that, and I want to give you kind of the background on this, uh, because again, it's one of those books, because it's so obscure, because it's so small, we don't have a lot of its history behind it. We don't know a lot about Philemon, who he is, but we are able to put it together historically, probably that he was a citizen in the town of Colossia. He was a member of the church of Colossia, so therefore, very likely, this letter to Philemon was delivered from the courier, maybe Onesimus, who we, inter- who we in- are introduced to in this passage, at the same time, the letter to the church of Colossia, which is a, one of Paul's major letters, uh, was delivered. So maybe there was two letters kind of rolled up into one and taken. One was fi- for Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy man in the community. He was a man of means. He was a man who was a leader in the church uh, who was able to open up his home even. To, to the church that, to meet in his home. Uh, he, he was a man of means because he was a slave owner. We'll talk about slave uh, owning in just a moment. But we, we know that he was a man of means because he hosted the church in the early years of, of the church in the first century, second century, and, and following for a while until 300s, uh, until Constantine legalized Christianity. There were not church buildings. 
They either met in large gatherings in the synagogues or in the temple courts. Uh, The Bible speaks to that. Or if they were small gatherings, they would meet in homes and houses. But even archaeologists have found as early as 150 A.D., homes were being, uh, uh, I guess you could say, remodeled. Uh, archaeologists have found homes that were remodeled that they know were Christians and that they found that these homes that were remodeled were actually being larger, made larger, and even dedicated to churches so churches could meet there. So were there church buildings on an official level? No. Homes were churches on a a much more common level. But even sometimes wealthy people had maybe two homes and would dedicate a home to the gathering of a church. So Church of Colossae met in Philemon's home, which the letter that we'll be reading from today is where it comes from. But slave trade, let's talk about that because we also know he was wealthy because he was an owner of slaves. They got to understand that when it comes to slave trade, that's a lot of people who are outside the church looking inside, reading a little bit of the scripture, and they read about slavery and they don't see that it's condemned, blatantly condemned. Uh, It's because... It was different in that day. I'm not justifying. I'm just saying it was different than the racial slavery that we know of uh, in, in, in our more recent history here in America. It was more of a, not of a racial, but more of a restitution slavery. You could be, you could be put into slavery for simply not paying your debts. Uh, you could be put into slavery for petty crimes. So it was not a racial thing at all. It was not an ethnic thing at all. It was more of a getting even, making things right because you owe me because of of such and such. But slavery was rampant in the Roman Empire. It was rampant. In fact, one town alone, Delos, uh, there was as many as 10,000 slaves that would be traded on the market in a single day. So slavery was rampant. So all of a sudden, you have these new believers becoming, or these non-believers becoming believers, such as a Philemon, and yet he's got slaves. And so what we find in Paul's writing is he really is against slavery. He's about equality. You find in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you, if you get hung up on Philemon, me saying he's a good, dedicated Christian, and yet he's a slave owner, and that becomes a hurdle for you, realize that this is a maturation process. He is, he is maturing in the faith. And in this passage, and we won't have time to del- delve into it all, but he actually encourages Philemon to let Onesimus free. See, Onesimus was one of his slaves. Uh, Onesimus was a man of uh, not great character, if you can say it like that. We know from this passage that he stole from Philemon, and then he runs away with the money. Now, where did he go? I don't know exactly where all he went, but he went from modern-day Turkey to Rome, Italy at least, because that's where Paul was imprisoned for being a Christian. So he, he, went, he went across state lines, you could say. He created a federal offense. He was an international. If there was an Interpol at that time, they would have a warrant out for Onesimus. Onesimus was a man of lesser character. He was a slave to Philemon. But he runs off, and he runs into a man named Paul. And all of a sudden, the story changes. 
All of a sudden, this, this Paul guy, this, he's an older man now. He even recognizes himself as an older man in this passage. All of a sudden, Paul's in prison in the last days of his life before he is killed for being a Christian. He doesn't stop what he's been doing all of his Christian life. And that is intentionally, powerfully, value, with great value add, pouring himself into people. You don't have to read through the the letters of Paul very far before you see that Paul had very clear relationship with a man named Timothy, a mentoring relationship with a man named Silas. And you can even see from this letter that he is pouring into the life of Onesimus. I can tell you this, that the model of a Christian's life is one where we are pouring into one another, where we are creating intentional, powerful, value-add relationships with other people. The challenge for us today is who are we pouring into? Who is pouring into us? How are we growing into one another? How can I be a person like a Paul who can take a a runaway, who can take a thief, who can take a person like an Onesimus, a runaway slave, and how can I become a forever friend with this person and make a difference in his life? Because I think all of us need someone to pour into us. If you don't have somebody who's pouring into you, you, you're in a desperate situation and you may not even realize it. And if you're not pouring into someone else, I'll say this, someone else is in a desperate situation because you're not. In fact, you can find one of the, one of the, one of the corrections of errors, if you will, in the letter of Hebrews was that the Hebrew people of that day, North Africans is what they believe it was actually being written to, is that these Hebrews that were displaced into North Africa were probably immature in their faith enough that, that, that the writer of Hebrews said, you ought to be investing in others, but instead we're still having to give you the elementary teachings of the Word. So I want us to be challenged today. I want us to ask ourselves the question, how can I be a person that in this world I can leave a mark on people? a positive mark as a forever friend in pouring into someone else's life. How can I do that? Here's three levels of forever friends that we need to consider today. One is that we need to involve, you need to involve, I need to involve myself with outlaws. All right? Find the outlaws that are out there and start pouring yourself into them. If you look at Philemon, hopefully you found that by now. In Philemon, uh, verse 8, you find here, it says, According though, uh, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Now just notice the attitude there. Paul said, I'm an apostle. I could tell you what to do, but instead I'm going to appeal to you. Hopefully Philemon is matured enough in the faith that he's going to listen to an appeal versus a command, but Paul has the right, if he needs to, to command him, but he's not. So he goes on, he identifies himself as a prisoner in Christ. Jesus, in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now again, remember Onesimus if you're Philemon. 
The last time Philemon saw Onesimus, it was whenever he was ducktailing it out of the compound, away from the property, whenever he stole from him and probably has a warrant out for his arrest. He has every reason to prosecute and to put under the jail cell, if not have executed, this, this slave, this, 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 this barbarian, this, this individual who has stole from me. He has every right to, to crucify Onesimus. And now what what is Paul saying? I beg you, I plead with you that I want to reintroduce to you a man named Onesimus who has become my child and I am his father. What a beautiful metaphor is, is presented to us here about pouring into somebody, about a relationship with somebody. And again, remember, who are we dealing with here? Another one of my New Testament professors growing up was Richard Malik, and he said it like this. He said, the slaves were barbarians with, with little to offer other than physical strength. That's all a slave was. They were barbarians. And all of a sudden, Paul and Onesimus get together, and Paul starts pouring into Onesimus. And what does he say there again? I just, just zero in on that phrase. If you've got your Bibles, underscore it in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child whose father I became in my imprisonment. Who's the outlaw of your life? See, I'm afraid we use hand sanitizer on our faith sometimes. We're afraid to get involved with people of ill repute. We're afraid to get our hands a little dirty, our lives a little close to darkness. Afraid that it might rub off on us. I want to ask you, deep down inside, who is an outlaw in your world, in your life, that you are intentionally, there's the key word, intentionally seeking to pour into so that they might become a child and you might be their father? In a sense, in a spiritual sense, is what he's talking about here. The reality is that most Christians, followers of Christ, sad to say, don't live the Christ way, don't live the Apostle Paul way, because they don't have relationships with unbelievers. They don't have relationships with people of ill repute. They use the hand sanitizer approach to Christianity. It kills 99.9% of the germs, and they're afraid. They treat their kids like, like that. They put the hand sanitizer on, but yet the kid goes out and he plays in the mud, and he eats the mud. And how many of your kids have died from eating mud? All right? I ate mud. All right? Kids don't die from eating mud. But yet we're so worried about that. We've been hand sanitized. We, we wash them down and all that kind of stuff. And rightfully so. But I wonder if we don't do the same thing with our Christian faith. We're afraid to mix and mingle. We're afraid of that. A study that, that I read says the typical Christian cannot name three non-Christians they've shared a meal with in the last six months. Think about that. Most Christians can't name three non-Christians that they've shared a meal with in the last six months. Here's another study that I, that I ran across. Less than one in ten believers have ever initiated a relationship with the hopes of bringing that person to faith in Christ. We just, we just don't do that. Why is that? Because we don't live intentionally in this world trying to reproduce ourselves, trying to pour ourselves into people. We're afraid that these outlaws have too much baggage. Guess what? We have baggage. 
And if we would unpack our baggage, we would be able to help other people unpack their baggage. If we would allow God to change us fully and deeply, then we could truly help other people be changed fully and deeply. I want to talk about this. If you choose to go into this world, if you choose to be a Paul to an Onesimus out there tomorrow, the next week, you will be, you, you could be the most significant person ever to step into that person's life. I want you to think about that. You could literally be the person who changes the trajectory of that other person's life. And that other person has been put in this place in this time, and you have been put in this place in this time for the very reason, for this very time, for that very person in their life. What is it going to take for us to be more intentional, to be more impactful into other people's lives? There's levels of friendship. Level one here is I know, therefore you learn. I know, therefore you learn. Who is Paul? Paul is the father. Who is who, who is he, the father to? To the child Onesimus. He uses that metaphor. And I know if you didn't have a good father, or you didn't have a good mother, or you didn't have an exemplary person, you didn't have somebody who poured into you patiently, graciously through life, then that's probably not a very clear metaphor for you. And I can, I can identify with that. So what you have to do is you have to break the mold and you have to figure it out. What is it going to take for me to make the impact in this culture? I can remember a time that I really realized I was a father. And it wasn't necessarily the time at the hospital. I mean, that was obviously a wake-up call. But uh, I can remember when we had Caleb. He was our second. I can remember we were in Africa. I can remember changing a flat on a tire. Right before we went on our first camping trip, boy, father-son camping trip. He was maybe four or five at best, maybe four at that time. And we were going to go camping on the Chobe, at the Chobe Game Park, right on the Chobe River. And uh, I can remember changing this flat, and he was outside with me, and we were packing the truck up and getting ready to go. And he, he said to me this statement, and to this day, even when I was typing this out to this week, it brought me to tears. He said, Daddy, would you teach me everything you know? And then he said, I want to be like you when I grow up. And then it was all of a sudden this rush came over me in that moment. It was so simple for him, but it's so profound for me. When I realized I could be the most significant person in his life. You could be the most significant person in somebody else's life. If you'll allow yourself to get your hands a little dirty, you'll rub your shoulders up against somebody who's maybe not quite there yet, and you'll be a Paul to a runaway, castaway, thief, robber, felon of an Onesimus out there. Who can you pour into? Who should you pour into? Number two, uh, we're talking about levels here. So let's say you go to level one. Level one is whenever you are in this relationship with this person who's an outlaw, okay? You're willing to do that. But that's when you're going to get a little involved. But this is the problem with Christianity is we like to keep this level. This is the problem with relationships in America. 
we like to keep arm's length relationships. I want to say this, you'll not see an arm's length relationship with Jesus, you'll not see it with the Apostle Paul. If Jesus had arm length relationship, he'd be coming to earth, putting on flesh, and he would not be dwelling among men, James or John chapter 1, verse 14. He would be living in an ivory palace, and he would be doing all this grand teaching. But instead, the Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. Instead, he just got right out there with the people. He slept, he ate, he lived life. He intertwined his life with their life. The Apostle Paul, the same way. And when you intertwine your life with them, you are moving from this arm's length relationship to more of an embracing, a more of a, a more of a, a well, a monologue is what you have up until now. You kind of have me dispensing information to you. Well, we want to move from that to more of a dialogue where we are growing in this truth together. We are maturing in this in our understanding. Uh, together in in the faith. And when you look at uh, this passage of Scripture, you see a beautiful thing happen here. Even though Paul considers himself the father, and even though Onesimus is the son, I want you to notice what it says down in verse 13. He said, uh, verse, verse 13, he says, I would have been glad to keep him with me. I mean, Paul didn't want to send him away. Paul wanted him with him. And notice this, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, you might just look at that and say, oh, yeah, he wants his own little slave. Not at all. Again, you've got to remember the mutuality of the relationship. Paul has already been pouring into him as a father would to a son. But this is what needs to happen. When you start intertwining your life with one another, it is no longer me over you and I'm your mentor. You're my protege. Now we are equals and we are walking on this journey together. That's where some people can't make that transition from the mentor to the protege to the mutual relationship. And we need to have that mutual relationship where I'm pouring into you, but you're adding value to me. We are pouring into each other. What are you bringing to the table? Onesimus was bringing something to the table, and their hearts were being intertwined with one another. Where do I see this? I see it in verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Onesimus and Paul, they were brothers. No, they they were father, son, yeah. But they were also brothers. They, they, it was like Paul was ripping his heart out to lose Onesimus. Because there was more than some kind of business relationship. There was a trust. There was a growing. There was a developing kind of relationship. Here's level two friendship. Jot it down. Level two friendship is where, where, where we trust and we connect. We trust and we connect. Level one is I know, you learn. Level two is we trust, we connect. There's mutuality in the relationship. Paul, yes, was the father, and Onesimus, yes, was the son. But then they spent so much time together, they grew so close together that that Paul was sending his heart away. I I told you I would tell you about the, the person who poured into me. But first, I want you to read with me. I want you to read it out loud with me. Probably the most common verse that's quoted in men's ministry anyway. 
is Proverbs 24, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. See, to have this level of relationship, there must be this this mutuality where iron is against iron sharpening iron. But, But we don't have that. We don't open our hearts up enough to that. But what happened with me when I was a freshman in college is a doctor... Dr. Holmes started entering into my life. Dr. Holmes was a, was a New Zealander. He was a professor at the, seminar, at the college that I was going to. He had absolutely no obligation to do this. I was not one of his students. I didn't take any one class with him the entire time. But Dr. Holmes reached out to me. We got to know each other on a trip when we, when we were roommates together to, in Israel. But Dr. Holmes began to reach out to me. He said, Mike, I'd like to spend some time with you. At first, I thought it was going to be kind of that first level friendship. He's going to be pouring into me. He's the father, I'm the son. And that's what it was kind of at the beginning. For the first six months, that's really what it was. He taught me so much about how to walk with God. But for the next, because it was about a two and a half year journey together, for the next two years together, it reached into a mutual relationship. We started meeting with about five other guys in his home, in his living room at 6 a.m. on Friday morning. If you're a college student, 6 a.m. doesn't happen without deep levels of commitment. And so we made this commitment to one another, mutual commitment. He would open up his home. I would be there. I would be ready. He would be ready. We would share together. We'd read a book together. We'd pray together. We'd invest in one another. We'd memorize Scripture together. It became... And I can tell you right now, after three degrees later, he became the most meaningful professor ever in my life, and I never had him for one class. What was the difference? Because he poured his life into me, and he allowed me to pour my life into him. I can remember days when he wasn't on his game. I can remember days when I wasn't on my game. I can remember days that I was struggling with something, There were days that he was struggling with something. But we in this mutual relationship with one another poured into one another, strengthened one another, and grew with one another. One philosopher said it like this. There are only two people who can tell you the truth about yourself. An enemy who has lost his temper and a friend who loves you dearly. You know, I had that kind of relationship with Dr. Holmes. He had that kind of relationship with me. He is the most important individual in my life, outside of my family, that poured into me. Who are you pouring into? What about your relationship? Number three, invest invest yourself in others. Intertwine, involve, and now invest yourself in others. Now, we've got to remember, Paul's in Rome. He's under house arrest. He cannot leave. He is sending Onesimus, the runaway slave, back to Philemon. He didn't have to. He could have kind of kept him there. He could have kind of hid him under under wraps. And, you know, Philemon may have never found out that Onesimus was with him. But I think there's an important principle here, kind of behind the scenes, is Paul did what was right. He did what was right even though he could have got by with what was wrong. This is one of the things about life is you've got to realize it's never right to do wrong to do right. And Paul was very careful that he did what was right. 
what was honorable. The, mean, the end doesn't justify the means. He did what was right. He sends Onesimus back. And he sends him back. And it's interesting if you, if you, if you know verse 11 in this passage. He says, formerly he was useless, verse 11 says. Look at there in your Bibles. Underscore that word useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. What happened to Onesimus, this useless criminal runaway slave? He met Paul. Paul involved his life with him. Paul intertwined his life with him. Paul invested his life in him. And this man who was a useless sack of wasted human flesh has now become useful. The irony is is the name Onesimus means useful. Finally, in Onesimus' life, he's living up to his name. Why? I have to believe it's because a man named Paul involved himself, intertwined his life, and invested his life in him. You think, Mike, how how did he invest his life in him? You look at verse 17 and following, and you can find how he put himself out there. He invested his reputation. He said this in verse 17, you need to receive him as you would receive me. Because again, you've got to remember Philemon is like probably accumulating the interest payments of everything that Onesimus has stole from him. But what, 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 what Paul says is, listen, I'm putting my name on him. This guy's legit. He's been changed. You receive Onesimus the same way you would receive me. He put his resources on the line. He said, listen, if Onesimus owes you anything, I'll repay you. You see it right there, verse 17, verse 18. If he wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Verse 19, I will repay it. He also invested himself his time. He did all of this in Onesimus because he said, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Communicating something very special to Philemon between Paul and he. It wasn't something that he handed off to his secretary. It was something that he said, listen, this man Onesimus, I believe in him. I've invested in him. I've intertwined my life in him. I've made an impact in him. How can I stand here 20-something years in ministry? How can I go back to 1988 in my life and talk about a man named Dr. Holmes who's now gone to be with the Lord? How can I say that this man has made this most impactful? Since that time, I have not stopped meeting with men at 6 in the morning. I've pastored three churches. I've served on the mission field in Africa. And every time I go somewhere, every time I start a ministry, one of the first things I start doing is I start looking for men that I can pour myself into, that I can intertwine my life with, so we can have a mutual, challenging, sharpening relationship, so that I can impact them, so that I can invest in them, so I can put my name on the line. But here's the problem in our relationships because we're so dysfunctional in our relationships today. We are independent and we are isolated. Let me just tell you, it is dangerous in this world to live an isolated life. Proverbs warns us against that. 
Whoever isolates himself, this is Proverbs 8, I think it's actually 18. Proverbs, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Who are you intertwining your life with? It's going to require vulnerability. It's going to require you being humble. It's going to require authenticity. South Africa, Anglican minister Desmond Tutu coined a a phrase that helped in the reconciliation of a nation that was torn apart because of apartheid. We were living in southern Africa during the during the Truth and Reconciliation Committees. We remember hearing news and all that, and Desmond Tutu and, and Nelson Mandela. And to this day, uh, Nelson Mandela is one of my, my, one of my heroes. But it was, it was the term Umbutu that, that he coined. And it was a phrase out of, this, out of this statement that became foundational and fundamental to, to the, the understanding and the reconciliation and the rebuilding of a nation to making great men and great people and a great nation. I'll try to read a little Zulu to you today, but it said this. It said, Moto, Kimoto, Bamoto, Babangwe, Umuntu, Ungumuntu, Ungumantu says this, a person can only be a person through others. A person can only be a person through others. The only way you're going to become everything that God wants you to become is whenever you involve, whenever you intertwine, when you invest your life in other people. Here's runaway slave. Here's a thief, a robber. Here is a felon. Here's a man who ought to be put in prison, Onesimus. But Paul involved, intertwined, and invested his life in this individual. Whatever happened? We don't have Philemon 2. We don't know what Philemon did with this letter. That's a little of the struggle. The story's kind of left a little bit a little bit unraveled there for us. But I think it's also beautiful. Because in other historical documents, Ignatius of Antioch wrote a letter in 115 to the bishop of the church of Ephesus, whose name? Whose name? Onesimus. Many historians believe that Onesimus was set free. That Onesimus went from being a felon, a fugitive, to being a thief, a robber, to becoming the bishop of the church at Ephesus. How did that happen? Outside of a person pouring in to him. Now, you've got to remember in history what's going on. Who, who, who is, what's going on in the time and the period? And the Apostle John was also in this time, in the same time. Let, let me give you this level of friendship real quickly before we finish. This level of friendship is I release and you win. That's the third level of friendship. And see, that's what, exactly what Paul did with Onesimus. And if Paul, if Onesimus comes back and becomes the bishop of Ephesus, it is absolutely a true element how will you be a friend to others? 
You know, I, I just want to encourage you today to think about Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Mainly, I want you to think about Paul and Philemon and Onesimus. Because what you have here is you have a beautiful story of life being invested in life. I ask you the question today, who are you investing in? Where is your environment of investing? Where are you pouring yourself out into other people? Well, the beauty is, is that we're going to create environments around here. Now, we can't make it happen. All we can do is create an environment. And that environment, one of those environments that we let that happen in is a, called body life groups. We're about to go into a six-week series of messages starting next Sunday called One Month to Live. We have re-upped. We've got lots of new groups and all that kind of stuff. If you are interested in being a part of an environment that could possibly nurture a kind of relationship between a Paul and an Onesimus, I want to encourage you to do that. Make it really simple for you. In your bulletin, there's a little quarter sheet of paper. Just fill it out. Just drop it in the offering basket when it comes by. We'll do the rest of the work. We'll contact you this week with two or three names of some places that you could reach out to. They're going to be waiting for you to reach out to them. I'll make it that simple. They're waiting for you to drop them an email. We'll make the connection. Think about it like that. But I also want you to think about your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ wants to be your friend. What kind of friend is Jesus to you? Do you have that kind of friendship with him? John the Apostle wrote this. He said, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. And when you think about the life of Christ, he was a person who absolutely lived on this earth, walked on this earth, and he involved himself in people. He impacted people. He intertwined his life with people. He invested his life with people. And he did that for an eternal relationship. Do you have that kind of relationship with him today? If you don't, I pray, I pray that you'll give yourself to following him. Today, right here, right now, let me pray for you. Father God, in this time and this place, don't let us miss you. Don't let us miss a relationship that you want with us first and foremost. But Lord, maybe there's relationships that we need to have in this room. Maybe there's relationships we need to have beyond this room. Where we become the Paul we find those outlaws of the Onesimuses out there and we pour into them. We literally change the trajectory of people's lives. Lord, help us to have that level of impact, that level of intentionality. Lord, be our friend in such a way that we are able to be friends.